0: It's great to be worshiping with you guys. Love what God is doing in this place. and uh, Powerful time there. Great song. Uh, Hey, a little family chat moment. Have you noticed how packed this place is consistently? Amen. Amen. Love it. Love what God's doing here. Just want to give you one fact. Ready? Fact. Everybody say fact. There are 400 less people at the second service. Did you know that? That's a fact. Just so you know, this is packed out and we love it, but here's a request from me to you. Can you consider moving your family to the 11 o'clock service with us? There's still like 700 people there, 650, 700 people. It's great, but we're pushing like 1,050 to 1,100 and it makes it almost impossible for a visitor to come in They're like, well, apparently the success has already come here. I'm out. And, uh, and they move on, and that's sad. And so if we could make a little bit of room at both services, that would be great. Here's my request. This is for real. Right now, a lot of you are like, check out. It's not for me. No, this is exactly for you. Consider, could it work for our family to move to the 11 o'clock service? And uh, what, could, what could God do with our family being missionaries as we move all the way over <laughs> to 11 o'clock? It's hard, man. I know, but... And uh, consider that, all right? Will you? Yeah, honestly, I'm just a number I'll throw out. If we could have 100 to 150 people move over, you wouldn't believe how much that would help this church as we continue to uh, serve the needs of the community, all right? So consider what that could look like. Um, bear season's hopeless anyway. And uh, come join us, all right? 11 o'clock, same service. God's rocking the place. Really consider that, all right? We're going to be talking about it over the next couple of weeks. We'll probably bring it up again. But seriously, have some talk time with your family this week. And uh, if you're ready to commit, commit next week and go after it, all right? And uh, let's see what God's going to do. Love you guys. Love 9 o'clock. Love you just as much at 11 o'clock, all right? And uh, seriously, let's see what God can do with that. And uh, I'd love to have you there with us as we move some people over to the 11, all right? So that's the family chat. Hey, we just finished a sermon series. Who am I? Who am I? And as we talked about in the midst of that series, the presence of God in our lives. Who are we? We are chosen. The Father working in our lives, even from before the foundations of the world, chosen. We are redeemed and forgiven. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Right. We are enlightened as God shares with us the truths and the comprehensions of who he is. We are alive. He has taken us from death unto life. We are restored as he is reconciling us and moving us together. We are fellow heirs. Man, there is one church. Uh, How many churches? There is one church, capital C Church. And uh, then likewise in this local church, we will be one fellow heirs. And in the end, we are empowered as God does amazing work through us. It says at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, That he is able to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. No matter what you dream up, man, God's going to rock your world as he moves. And who are we? We are children of the king. And God is at work. And uh, praise God for that powerful series. And we just had a huge time of celebration as we walked through that. And prayer time and all the rest. And and, um, so how come I don't always feel that way? What steals my joy away? And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about in this next series, all right? Let's get after the joy stealer. Let's get after what is toxic. That's the name of this sermon series, toxic. And uh, identifying the sin in our lives that is literally stealing away the joy that I could have in my identity in Christ. And all of God's people said? All right. And as we get after that, uh, we're going to go hard after it. Uh, With a book, like we did the last time. We have a book for you. And so uh, we're going to have the ushers roll them out. Let's just roll out those books right now and get after it. And uh, the book is coming at you just like we did last time. All right? And uh, so get your pens ready. And uh, we're going to be rolling these down the row. Every single person take a book. And uh, who takes a book? Every single person take a book. I'm visiting today. Welcome. Have a book. Right, and uh, every single person take a book, let's get after it, and uh, remember this book has a ton of information in it, Uh, we have put together just like we did last time, so it's got the sermon series outlines, so every week you can bring your book, and uh, bring your book every week, right, when do you bring your book? Every week, week bring your book, and... uh, You'll have a chance to fill out the outline there and be able to take notes within it. It's also got the reading plan for the week. There's a reading plan put together to be able to walk you through this material and keep you invested in it for the whole week. It's got impact group questions. So for all of you in impact groups, we have like over 900 in impact groups in this church and you'll be walking through the questions in this book, all right? And then there's also... Uh, something else at the end of each chapter in this one. There's going to be some tools for you. Some tools to be able to diagnose and some tools to be able to get after some healing. Praise be to God. All right, Do not skip out on the tools. All right, The diagnosis tools at the end of each chapter are going to be super important. And it really kicks in by chapter 3 and goes from there. And uh, we're going to go hard after this. Toxic identifying the sin in my life, this heart of sin that needs to go, and Lord, may you transform me. Please understand, I need everybody hearing this now, all right? And uh, I know some books are still being passed out. Please hear me. We do not make this change on our own. Everybody hearing me on that? We do not make, this is the work of the Holy Spirit changing you. Him transforming you. Yes, we need to recognize it. Yes, we need to put ourselves in the way of his glory, if you want to say it that way. As his glory now pours over you, him making the change. But it's your God's work as you cooperate and allow him to go after it, all right? Be careful. Let's not try to muscle this thing or we've made nothing but a frustrating seven or eight weeks, right? And so let's be cautious with it. All right, do me a favor. Uh, we've still got the books being passed out in a couple spots. Um, So turn with me to page, I can't read it, I think it's six, page six. The prayer, the plan. Okay? The prayer, same as last time. Make the name of Jesus Christ famous. To uh, grasp the greatness of my God. To be unified as one body. Make sure there's unity that comes from this. I'm just telling you, as you start talking about sin... How easy it is to point a finger at the person next to you. And all of God's people said, this is not about finding the sin in your family's life. This is about finding the sin in your life. Right? And uh, let's make sure we go after that. Drink deeply of abundant joy in my God. Glorify God as I am shaped by him. May God transform our souls. Identify what in me needs to be transformed. And then repentantly hand that all over that God might do the change, all right? And uh, so what's the plan? We kind of already talked about it. It's, man, commit to attending Sunday mornings, faithful commitment to Sunday morning. We are gonna walk through this. We are going to be rocked by God's word. We are gonna go after what is toxic and what needs to go. Lord, shape us, change us, and show us. Can't wait to see what's gonna happen with that, all right? And uh, then attend your impact group, and uh, can't wait to see what God's gonna do through that. I'll just say a quick shout-out here. Man, if you're part of Young Adult Singles, 20s and early 30s, uh, we're going to be walking through this book together, and uh, actually, we're going to have myself and Jana, and we're throwing Mark and Stacy, in with, like the four of us are going to jump in there and, and really pour into that. Looking forward to it. If you are a Young Adult Single, join us, all right? That's second and fourth Thursdays, and can't wait to see that go down hardcore, all right? May God be glorified. And then walking through the reading plan and the diagnosis tools as well. Do me a favor now. You may not know this, but your book looks just like the one next to you. So make sure you put your name on it, all right? Put your name on it. Okay? And now let's go to page 10. Page 10. As we dive in here today, first service or the first sermon here, uh, when we drink the poison. And, uh, what is it? What's at the root of this whole thing that train wrecks us? And uh, so we're going to be walking through it in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So open your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We got ushers coming forward, they got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, all right? Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you. What's the poison we drink that hinders us from experiencing this identity in Christ that we can have? All right. Genesis 3, starting at verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So when we're reading scripture, let's make sure we read it very completely and very carefully, all right? When we're in the Old Testament, just so you know, in the Hebrew, there are certain things they did to connect together narrative story, all right? And when you see the word now in the Old Testament, that's that connecting word. It's a narrative connecting word. It says, the story's continuing, all right? That's that word now. And in the original Hebrew, they would have that Fairly often throughout the storyline, it wasn't just at the beginning, it was at connecting every piece to prior pieces. and um, So this word now, what's it connecting it to? Well, it's connecting it back to chapter 2. There was this story flow going on where we're introduced to the creation, and then we're introduced to Adam, and then we're introduced to Eve, and Adam and Eve together, and then finally now to the serpent. And So let's just go back to chapter 2, starting in verse 9. I just want to read real quickly. Genesis 2, verse 9. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was creating an awesome creation. And uh, it says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And it walks through and explains the name of the four rivers over those next pieces. And we jump to verse 15 the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Uh, Newsflash, before the fall, man was working. And, uh, okay. So embrace your work, man. And uh, Guys, make sure you're not looking at work as being part of the fall. Work is something we're created for. And work heartily as to the Lord, all right? It's just a little side note. Let's keep moving. And uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and to work it and to keep it. It says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. How many trees? Every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. You should not what? Don't forget that word. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This is God speaking to Adam. He gave the command to Adam don't eat of that one tree, everything else you can eat of, right? Now, the next piece is Adam being introduced to Eve and marriage being talked about, and then we end up in chapter 3. Now, connecting word as the story continues. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent, and uh, so. Kind of a snake-like creature of sorts. And uh, we're not exactly sure what this being looked like. Notice it says, was more crafty than any other beast. More crafty. And uh, the word crafty there literally meaning a cunning. Uh, Sees how things work. Understands almost a wisdom in the midst of it. Grasping how people think. Grasping God's value system. And really even understanding how to work within it and interact within it for his benefit. Crafty. And uh, notice it also says that the Lord God had made this being was a created being. Nothing but created. Just say that with me. Nothing but created. Don't miss miss that point. This serpent is just a created being. God Almighty sits over him. God Almighty has all the authority over him, and and, uh, this serpent, Satan, and uh, where does it say that this is Satan? Look at your passage. Does it say that? It it doesn't say that. So where did we come up with that statement from? And I just want to make sure that you know this, and you've got this written down in your books there, all right? Uh, Ezekiel 28, 13. Ezekiel 28, 13. In fact, this is a section that's talking about Satan and the angels and then a third of them falling from heaven and describing some of it. And I'll just re- read you a few phrases. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. You were an anointed guardian cherub. You were blameless in your ways till unrighteousness was found in you. And you fell, Right? So Ezekiel 28, 13, it's talking about who Satan is. And yeah, you had this presence in the Garden of Eden. And you even had responsibility. You were a cherub. And you had perfection. And you had gloriousness as a part of who you were in the creation that God gave you. And then you chose you. And fell. And uh, still in the Garden of Eden. And that is Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen, saying there was this being in Eden. And then Revelation twelve nine, another good verse to write down. Revelation 12:9 talking of Satan it says you were the great dragon the ancient serpent of old See the connection And so Revelation 12:9 and Ezekiel 28:13 piecing together that there was an ancient serpent present in the garden of Eden used to be perfect but fell Okay Welcome to the serpent more crafty than any other being Now some read this And they say, well, I think it was a snake, actually. And maybe Satan was just influencing them. And uh, I've got one reason that I don't believe that. I think this was straight out just Satan. Okay? And here's why. He said to the woman. Okay, if this is just a snake, just, we're going to skip ahead for a second. It says, and the woman said to him, and has a response. Please note that her response was not, It speaks! Like, that wasn't the response. She didn't freak out that this being is talking to her. She's fully aware that this being is capable of talking, all right? And so she's interacting with the serpent, and the serpent is communicating with her, and somewhat that was to be expected, apparently. Notice what he says. He, the serpent, says to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Okay, now we just read what God said. He said you can eat of every tree of the garden but one, right? And what does Satan throw in? Did God seriously say none? Okay, crafty. And uh, What did Satan do? He threw up into Eve's face a questioning about God in this position. The goal here is to make Eve go, well, I don't know. What did he say? Maybe God did say something like that. Hang on, I have to think about it now. And let's get her questioning the principles and rules of God. And uh, he asks a question very simply. Did God say, you shall not eat of any? And the answer to that question is, say it louder. And the answer to that question is, no, that's not what he said. And uh, never really a good idea to continue in long dialogue when someone is questioning the very words of God, all right? And the best answer would have been, nope, talk to the hand, right? And uh, not so much what happened here, though. Uh, And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. All right, I have no idea what her tone there is, right? Is she kind of angry? Is she like, hey, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? Like, don't you question my God? Is that it? Maybe not, because she continues to communicate with him. Was it more like, oh, well, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? Kind of questioning herself, even as she says it. Maybe more that. Uh, it's hard to tell for sure. It doesn't say, and here's her tone of voice, right? Uh, we just have the words written here, but we know what she continues on with, which allows a questioning to take place. And so probably a little more like the latter. And uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden all right notice that she does not name the tree i'm not sure if that means anything or not quite frankly i spent a little time studying on that that bothered me she gives a location of the tree she does not give the name of the tree here's the only reason it bothers me if you go back to genesis 2 which we just read it says there's two trees in the midst of the garden one is the tree of life and the others of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, and so she's now naming location, but not name of, and I'm not sure what that's all about. Um, Please note this. Remember, the rule was given from God to Adam. The serpent is challenging Eve. Eve probably got the rule from Adam, okay? So Adam's sharing it across. How do we tend to share rules across When we're trying to let someone know what someone should and shouldn't do, right? We get maybe a little more militant, a little more firm. We're going to see that come out, right? And so it says, and the woman said to the serpent, Uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Is that what God said? Big answer. Is that what God said? That's not what God said. God said, don't eat it lest you die. Eve just said, well, God said, don't eat it. Don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. Right? And so this is one of those moments where in a a very holy moment of God at the middle and you're trying to worship him and you want him centered up so you have this very hardcore center of glory to God and you have a rule around it that God's given like thou shalt not eat. Right? Right? Don't do that. And so we've got this great little picture of the middle of glory of God and thou shalt not eat. And Eve walks up and puts another row around it. Not even touch it. That's my rule. Like I'm not sure I'm supposed to, I I know I'm not supposed to eat it and I don't know how close to get to it. I know I'm not going to, so another rule, don't even touch it. Right? I'm not going to walk over and be like, oh, not going to eat that. Like I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to stay away, not even to touch it. In fact, we're going to see she probably even added a third rule in just a little bit. But not even touch it was her statement. And uh, here's the problem. Once we start adding our own rules to God's stuff, we end up with a little bit of issue. And uh, so that's where I wrote down first point here. Unbelief. When I add to or discount God's word when I add to or discount God's word. And uh, we end up with this major problem where we start saying God's word wasn't enough word. God said don't eat it. I'm even gonna put words in God's mouth. Don't touch it. And uh, that's a problem, man. When we start adding to God's word because we think God's word isn't enough. Everybody just say that's a problem. Be careful, we're all of a sudden not believing in God's word as being strong enough on its own. And we're adding things to it. We start giving God the statement that he made it. When in fact, he didn't. Eve would have been very accurate to say, God said, don't eat it. I say, don't even touch it to be careful. I'm trying to respect God's rules. So this is my rule on top. And that would have been better. But she said, God said, don't even touch it. And uh, gave it to him. When you add to God's word, watch out. You got a lot of troubles coming. And um, all right. So, I wrote this word down. When you put glory for God in the middle and then God's rule around it, that's awesome. That's what God's got in store. But as soon as we add our rule around the outside, we're beginning to make our own thing. And the next step after it is to pull out the glory of God. And we're going to see that happen in just a second. Pull out the glory of God and all of a sudden you've created a giant donut. Rule upon rule with no middle. It's lost the glory and the purpose of God, and we've created a donut called legalism. And as soon as we're living this legalistic donut where we've made our life nothing but a set of rules, and I honestly couldn't even care less about the glory of God anymore, somehow it's centered up on me and my benefits and what's good for me and what's not, and man, and we're in trouble. And Eve's got a legalistic donut going on here. How many of us have that in our lives? Glory of God, basic rule. We're like, I'm going to add all these rules around the outside. I even lose God in the middle of it. I'm not even sure what's going on with God anymore. But man, do I have a lot of rules. And in fact, I even measure other people against my rules. And uh, that's legalism, where we try to get right with God based on our own rules. And uh, be careful with that. It'll eat you up, and it's actually stemming from an unbelief. I don't think God's got it. I better add some things to it and see if I can't make a better plan in the midst of it. And uh, notice it says, lest you die. Lest you die. And uh, so this means spiritual death and physical, okay? The spiritual death occurs immediately upon disobedience, and we'll see that come up. Spiritual death, immediate, and then the physical, the aging process starts right away. I'm not sure how long after they violated this principle that their big toes started to hurt and they broke some toes and limped around, but I'm sure it happened. I I don't know, I made that up. I'm not sure it happened. I mean, seriously, they had to start feeling the aches and pains of life, right? And they had to start feeling the aging process that started, and it did start right away as they began to collapse but spiritual death, immediate, a separation from God. And we're going to see that come up, lest you die. God's like, I don't want you to taste of this. He's protecting, he has what's best for them in mind. And uh, Eve said, Yeah, here was the rule don't eat it, don't even touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Notice now we've moved from. I'll misquote God's scripture, right? Did he say that you can't eat of any? Seriously? Uh, No. Now to God is lying. Okay, who's lying here? Satan's lying. And we better get that clear, man. Any accusation that God is lying is coming from the pit of hell. And we better be real careful with it. Satan just flat out goes against her and says, you're not going to die. That's ridiculous. Don't you trust that word? God's got other plans. And we're going to see in just a minute, Satan continues on with this in the second point. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And uh, doubting, questioning, challenging, adding to or discounting from God's word. Man, it will train wreck our souls. All right? And uh, it steals away so much of the joy of the identity that we can have in Christ, this unbelief. And uh, why? Why do we do that? I'll just put this down. Top three things we doubt about God. Top three things that we doubt about God. Number one, his knowledge. We doubt that he really knows. Does he really understand that and grasp that? Does God actually see everything and grasp what's going on? I'm not sure. Does God seriously know what's right and wrong in my life right now? I don't know. And and we might feel like, wow, that sounds like heresy. I would never want to say it out loud. And some of you in here, you're like, dude, I attend the 9 o'clock service. I'm militant. I'm good with it. I can bring some rules, and I don't doubt God's knowledge. Really? Really? You never, ever question if God's got your best in store. His knowledge. Do you really know what's right, God? The second piece, his love and care. His love and care. Okay, you may know what's best. But maybe you're just considering you in the midst of all of that when you declare it best. Do you really love me? Do you care for me? Do you care for my family? And and with the situation you're allowing us to walk through, do you? And we start doubting whether he actually loves us. Sure, he may know what it takes, but does he love enough to reach in? And uh, the third piece is power. Okay, fine, you may know what it takes. You may even care enough to reach in. But do you actually have the ability to make the impact and the change? Your power. And uh, remember, we just read in Ephesians 3, he is able to do far abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. It is not a question of his power. He has the power. He has the love. And he has the knowledge. But the whisper from the pit of hell is that somehow God unwinds right before you. And you can't count on him and you can't trust in him. Where are you at? Are you devastated in the midst of a current experience and just not sure what God's doing? Are you beginning to doubt him and question him, even right where you are? I'm just telling telling you this. It'll unwind your soul. Here's my request. Know this. Your God knows every detail of you. He loves you passionately, and he is capable of doing things in your life that will literally blow you away. That's your God. Maybe you're in the middle of a devastation that you can't even begin to fathom. uh, You heard Pastor Steve bring up what's going on in Harvest Clear Lake, and uh, we love those guys. We have no idea what's happening in that family. We don't know what took place yesterday. I texted them. We chatted for a little bit. It's. And you don't face that level of crisis without having some level of questioning come up. Lord, hear my cry. Maybe here's the best way to say it biblically. Lord, I believe, just like our people who were getting baptized last week, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I believe you have this thing in hand. And yet, I'm rocked to the core. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I am ready for you to show me you like never before. Now. Lord, I am ready for this unbelief to be brought down a level. And you and your glory to be brought up a level. I believe, Lord. And with tears in my eyes, help me in my unbelief. And that is a biblical cry. Lean on your God in the midst. Unbelief. It will steal the joy away as we add to and discount from God's word. In the midst of your struggle, will you lean on him? Will you trust in him? Believe and cry out for more belief that God might rock your world. And all of God's people said, and the first poison that steals from us is unbelief, and the second is pride. When I value personal gain or control, pride, when I value personal gain or control, Satan now continues, he started in verse 4, you will not surely die, questions the very command of God. Now, he starts out verse 5, for, let me explain to you why I've taken this position, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. God's going to be jealous of what you're going to get, that's why, he's trying to keep you from something good. Your eyes are going to be opened. Okay, I'm just asking you. Yes or no? Will their eyes be opened when they eat? Yes or no? Yes. Is he lying? Nope. Just omitting some really important facts. And often the worst lies are sins of omission, not commission. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you part of the truth, but I won't tell you the whole truth. And Satan's like, just so you know, God's afraid you're going to actually have your eyes opened that's a true statement he doesn't want their eyes open he doesn't want them to experience and taste of evil and selfishness and rebellion he doesn't but not for the reason implied the reason implied is because God's trying to stand alone in some unique position look what he says next you will be like God you will be like God see this is the battle cry of Satan I will be like the most high right Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. That's where it comes from. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. I will be like the most high. Satan's like, you can be like the most high God. And he knows that. He's trying to keep you from that. That's what's going on here. And, and uh, like God. Well, maybe only in this fact. That there would be an awareness of evil. I mean, right now, Adam and Eve are about as innocent as it gets, right? There's a purity and an innocence in them, and they don't understand evil. They can't even comprehend rebellion. They certainly haven't tasted of it. And so there's a closeness to God that would happen only in this. There would be a tasting of evil and an understanding of it at a different level. But here's the major difference I just wrote these words down. Remember this God has a wisdom of evil. We collapse from evil as a major difference. God has a wisdom of evil. He's aware of what it is, but he himself is not. We will collapse under it. And the evil that these guys would become aware of would absolutely become a weight that collapses them in the immediate. and A huge deal. It says that their eyes would be open. They would be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that true? Would they know good and evil? What's the answer to that? Is that true? Will they know it? Yes, right? Yes. And uh, absolutely. And uh, so he's told them truth-ish. Right? And omitting key facts is from the pit of hell. Are you hearing me? And taking God's word and twisting it and using it for your own good is pit of hell. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you, I've got a little bit of heat on this right now, and we've had some things going down around here, and I'm just telling you this, from the outside, not even in these church walls, not a part of this church, but hear me now, twisting of scripture to be able to attack people here. Down with that. May God be glorified in this room. May the whole of his scripture be used, and may God's word stand true, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Be very careful, man. Part of Scripture is not Scripture if we've dropped the context. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. And uh, he says here, you'll know good and evil. What a promise. He's like, start listening to me. Stop listening to God. Okay? And uh, Eve's pride is beginning to be tweaked. Wait. Wait. I get to be like God? I get to know good and evil. Why would he keep that from me? What's he doing with that? And uh, and the moment you begin doubting God and trusting yourself, you're in deep, deep trouble. Right? The moment you begin doubting God and trusting self, it's time to stop, drop, and pray. Be careful. And Eve's like, yeah, I think, uh, I think I have this and I think God doesn't. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. I love this. So when she saw that, she didn't see that before? Remember how I told you? I think there was a third rule she added. It wasn't just don't touch it. It was don't even look at it. She refused to look. She wouldn't even see that it was good for food. She didn't come up and go, I wonder what's up with this tree man, that's a good-looking fruit right there. That's looking tasty. I better get out of here. Right? She was like, I'm not doing that. So she never went near it. She didn't even know what it looked like when she saw that it was good for food. Um, God created something that was good for food. Duh. Right? Isn't that what it says in chapter 2? He created every tree of the garden good for food. And uh, yeah, duh, but she just now opened her eyes. First it was don't eat it, that's God's rule. Now my rules, don't touch it, don't even look at it. And so now she's breaking down her rules. Notice which rules mattered most to her. When she starts breaking her rules, it's all done. I'm starting to look at it, I'm willing to touch it, it's all falling apart. And the pride raising up. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Like, oh man, you can gain knowledge from this. I should go after this. Boy, God knew what he was doing when he named this tree. The knowledge of good and evil, right? And I think there was a tip in the name before Satan ever got there, letting her know the value of the tree, but she just now grasped it. She took of its fruit... And eight, have you ever been in that moment where you know you shouldn't, you know you shouldn't, you know you shouldn't, you know you shouldn't, shouldn't, you're fighting it, you know you you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, I did it. And that feeling that comes after, as you now grasp where you stand, and so your first thought is, well, I don't want to be alone in this. Right, And so she gave some to her husband who was with her. Now that phrase, who was with her, is uh, talked about a ton. In what way with her? Like the serpent's talking to her and he's like standing this close and he doesn't have anything to say? Or or with her like he was over here and she had her little moment and then she finally came back with it, now with her. And uh, scripture doesn't say. I'll just say this, my personal position is that she probably wandered back away from that tree with that fruit bit and went back over to him and now was with him. Why? Because his name never comes up in the first few verses. He never even says, whoa, 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 hang on. He, he doesn't even have any words to say. So my thought is he probably was a little bit separated and, and she was having her moment with serpent alone. And uh, now it says she brought it to her husband, gave some to him, and he ate it. Now, can you imagine this moment when she comes up? I'm just telling you, um, my first inkling was when she ate of it, she must have immediately had to collapse into sin, but we're going to see in just a moment that's not true. And uh, So she walks up and she's like, you wouldn't believe this! This tastes phenomenal! Right? And Adam's like, where did you get that? Well, I, I, from the middle tree, you know, but it tastes so good. And look, nothing's happened to me, and you should try and taste this. And he's like, okay. How did he get to that conclusion? Did they walk through the talk together? And she's like, you can know evil with me. You can be like God. You can, God's holding back from us. And did the doubt get shared? Did he choose to? go along with her in some way, partnering in. We don't know what was going on, but Adam's decision was horrific as he ate. It says, then the eyes of both were opened. Check that. When were the eyes of both opened? When Adam ate. Eve eats, and we're in some kind of neutral land. Hang on, it's collapsing. Adam eats, and it collapses. Okay, and Romans five twelve. therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And Adam was made headship in the garden, headship over all creation. Adam responsible for all of it, and I'm just telling you when headship falls, it all falls. That's what God's saying. And he waited for headship, and headship fell, and that's what we have going on. What a picture of marriage, men! You are the head of the home. Watch yourselves in your lead. As the headship goes, so goes the family. Lead that family well. Lead them towards God. And the headship here fell, followed in the sin and fell. It says, "Then, then the eyes of both were opened." Satan's promise: Your eyes will be opened. It happened. The eyes were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They knew they were without, they didn't know that before? It's something totally different now. See, before there was this great appreciation for God and his creation. There was a true passionate love for one another. There was a relationship even physically with one another that was deeply honoring both to God and to each other. And now all of a sudden, as soon as it collapses... There is this immediate, as there's a looking at each other, there is a lusting, a craving, a having to self, a a judging of the other, the criticisms and the attacks. And can you imagine having known the feelings of utter perfection to now be tasting of the sin you and I live with every day and we call it normal. And they're tasting of it and it's devastating And he's like, I can't even believe the way I'm thinking about you. Cover yourself, woman. Right? And he's like getting himself covered. I'm like, what is up with this? There's judgment and there's shame and there's hiding and there's... Oh yeah, their eyes were opened. Yeah. Pride. It can be our undoing. And uh, it says they ended up grabbing some fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and covered themselves. First step in sin is we usually find somebody else. Second one is we begin to cover up. I'm just telling you, it'll devastate your life. And we have to be so careful with how we handle our walk with God. It will steal from you the very joy that you have. Here's my request. Let's just turn to the next page right after where you guys are at. And, uh, hey, Dan, I'm going to ask for the restored heart to go up first, okay? We're good with that? Awesome. Thanks. Restored heart. This is on uh, page 13. Okay? This is where Adam and Eve were before the sin. Before pride and unbelief touched them. This is where they were. Take a look at the middle. They have a heart of humility. A heart of faith. They're trusting and believing in God and they're allowing him to lead. And from that it expresses out. Look to the bottom right. They're dependent on God. They're leaning on God's purposes. God is able and they trust him. Look to the left. They're believing in God. God's promises. They're counting on him. God is loving and they are hoping in their God. Up to the top left, they're yielding to God. God's supremacy and God is fully in charge. They're surrendering. And uh, off to the other side with humility, there is a wisdom from God. God's sufficiency, God is enough. There is satisfaction in God alone. This is where Adam and Eve were pre-fall. Here's the deal. This is where God is transforming us and taking us back to one degree of glory at a time. Praise be to God. And he's leading us back to a heart of humility and a heart of faith with these things being balanced out. And as we walk through the rest of this series, we're going to be walking through different pieces of the quadrant here. And we're going to be learning how to go after this in my life. Lord, help restore this facet of me. And what's it look like when I'm broken? Look back to the unrestored heart. Pride and unbelief unbelief down in the bottom there it leads off to uh, worry god doesn't have this i'll have to self protect god isn't able i'm afraid man i'm walking around in utter fear and uh, or to doubt and to self-pity and god isn't loving and i'm in utter despair it's hopeless and unbelief leading to despair and fear or you go to the top side where pride leads to a rebellion. I will rule myself. I will make my own rules. I will pull the glory of God out of the middle and create my most awesome donut ever. And I'm going to live according to it. self rule and God is not in charge. I am. And I am utterly angry and I will bring it. Anger. And, uh, or pride that leads to ridiculous folly. God isn't enough pleasure for me. I need to self-pleasure and uh, foolishness. This heart that you 're looking at, this circle with the heart at the middle, this is really built actually off of as well. Um, when you go into counseling, for those of you who know a little bit about counseling, DSM4, DSM5 models, okay, you can build this right around those models. And so the fear down in the bottom right that 's actually things you 'd struggle with in anxiety, the anxiousness elements, uh, despair, that's the depression elements you 'd see in the counseling realm. And uh, anger is well named it 's the anger realm. <laughs> You see a lot of it. And uh, foolishness, this is where be your your addiction elements and running off into those pieces. And just so you know, there's a direct overlay. Here's the difference, though. Secular counseling goes after the symptoms and tries to change a behavior. Uh, Thumbs down with that plan. And, And so what we're going after is, yes, understanding what motivates us, but it gets all the way into the heart of it all and getting to a heart of pride and unbelief, and then how that grows out into these symptoms. God, help me meet the God who is so, and we start basking in his glory, and he changes us. That's what we're going after here, man. We're going to do some giant, unbelievable, intense, on your knees. God revealed to me what needs to go. I want to meet you. You have this in hand. Change my heart. Done with pride. Done with unbelief. On with my king. May you be glorified. Down with the toxic poison. Time to get it out. And all of God's people said, man, let's bring it to our king let's make much of his name as we go through this together it's going to be a journey and hear me now this will not make Satan happy and you will be told whispers of the scripture isn't true and God doesn't make sense and we need to put those down and trust our God so here's what I'm going to ask let's just go to prayer right now and we're going to have Larry come on up we're going to take a moment here together to pray and just hand it over deep breath just bow our heads and close our eyes Heavenly Father Lord hear our cry you are awesome and we are not what needs to go Restore us, Lord. Our God who loves and our God who calls, our God who chooses and redeems and forgives and seals and enlightens, our God who makes us alive, worship that God. Thank him for who he is. He is our hope. You may be sitting in this room right now and the unbelief is train wrecking you. Doubting God's word, doubting God's love, doubting God's knowledge, doubting God's power, standing against him, unsure of where he's headed in utter fear and despair. Hang on. Hang on, brother. Hang on, sister. We serve a God of love and he has it in hand. Just take the smallest level of belief you've got. Lord, I believe in this. Help me in my unbelief. Just bring it to him. Lord, I believe that you rose from the dead. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe that you have this Help me in my unbelief. Just take it to him what needs to go. Pride that's wrecking you right now, you're like, God, I have this. I don't need him. Couldn't be a greater lie, a stronger whisper to your soul than that. Satan's got you, man. Don't listen. You do not have it. And the creator of the universe does. Time to set down self. And the goal of being like the Most High and let Him lead. Lord, break me even now. I surrender. Just take time with Him. Surrender.